Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's episode, oh, it's going to be a good one. I got uh, one of my favorite people ever, someone that's near and dear to my heart, a best friend of mine, Esther Gabriel. How we doing, baby? <laughs> oh, shit. What up? How you how you feel? You nervous? No, not at all. All right, cool. Cause we live, we live now. So don't don't be messing up. You know okay, what? John. <laughs> all right. Um, you know, for okay, so for you know, I do this all the time. But for people that may be listening that don't know you, uh, who are you? What are you about? Who's Easy E? Uh, Easy E. Well, she's she's been retired, but uh. Esther Gabriel is, well, okay, so my name's Esther, as you very well know, but for people who don't know, um, I'm from Buffalo. I am a newly admitted attorney, a former college athlete. Uh, that's about it. I mean, there's not too much else unless you really want me to deep dive into my interests and whatnot, but, you know, mm. that's who I am right now. You and I had the lovely pleasure of meeting for the first time in, well, we were freshmen in high school? Uh, yeah, I was freshman year. And I pretty much harassed the shit out of you and tormented you because you were not, and I obviously don't get offended, this ain't anything bad, but you were not who you are today. You were a polar opposite person. Well, I wouldn't say polar. I think I was definitely who I am now with like my like close group of friends, you know, but I definitely wasn't extroverted outside of, you know, the five core group of people I hung out with. But yeah, I mean, we met freshman year, you were sitting behind me in math class and you would just just bug the shit out of me you would distract me from <laughs> learning mr buckles had to yell at us at some point so i was just like dude it's not me it's this kid behind me i'm not even friends with him <laughs> you know you remember do you remember the first day of uh class he came to class super late and do you remember lamont he showed up yes. late and lamont he was just like hey like take a seat or whatever and um he goes i'll be your uh algebra teacher or some shit like that and Lamont's just like, man, your name sound like buttholes. <laughs> yeah, that kid kind of scared me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, he's just like, all right, yeah, we're going to have a problem this year. But, um, yeah, so we – freshman year, and then your dad – I met your brother because your brother Josh, he played JV lacrosse with me, and then your dad mm-hmm. was our coach. And yep. the first time I ever hung out with Josh, I don't remember if he was like, yo, come over. I just remember coming over. And you standing in the kitchen and being like, yo, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, honestly, there was a shock to my system. And then I don't know how, and then pretty much after that, we, I know like senior year, because we had uh, a couple of your really good friends I had class with, uh, stuff like that. And then we just always like in the hallways and go in the locker, in between lockers and classes and stuff like that. I would always mess around with you, joke with you and stuff like that. And then kind of just pretty much that way, if I remember correctly. I honestly don't even, I feel like with like your best friends, you don't remember how you became friends for half the time. No, I mean, yeah, it was, it was a gradual progression for sure. I would say like after freshman year, we weren't, you know, we would, I don't even know if we would say hi to each other. I don't think we would, but I knew that like you knew Josh and my, and my dad. Um, but I know, yeah, you're right. Senior year, we would see each other in the halls and you would mess with me, but it was more of like, I tolerated at that point. Cause like you were my friend at that point. And then he used to give me shit about grace, which fired me up. And you thought it was the funniest thing. Um, <laughs> and then, and then I made that, uh, that sign for you. Remember, I think it was your senior game. No, it had to have been, that had to have been like one of the first games of the year. Cause I broke my wrist. And I didn't, I'm, I only played like four or five games. my senior. Really? Year, oh yeah. Cause I had. 
No, I think you're right because I had my soccer stuff on in that picture. So I think it was in the, I think it was in the early spring. But anyway, um, yeah. And then I don't think we actually became like friends though, where we spoke on a regular basis, you know, like through text or whatever until like freshman year of college, I think. Yeah. And then I remember, um, did I come to Harborfest prior to the first time we came to visit you or was that afterwards? Because that was a shit show to say the least. Uh, that's a good question. Let me think. No, no, you guys, because you were you were at Hobart. That's right, you were at Hobart, and I remember Josh and Grace drove, picked you up on the way, and you guys stayed in my dorm. Yeah, you were. So that was that was sophomore year. Yeah, you were swagged out like Avril Lavigne. Yeah, I knew you were just about to say that. Shut up. (laughs) I look good. That was a good outfit. (laughs) Yeah, it was a good outfit. It was if it was Halloween and you were going. (laughs) Yo, the first time. Who were you living with? Was it Jay and Aaron at the time? It was Jay, Aaron, Tay, Bailey, and Lizzie. Yeah, talk about – I forgot about Bailey. Uh, talk about first impressions because the the night after – what was it, Sunday morning? Um, the night before, we were going house party to house party, and Josh and I were joking around and kind of like messing with you because you were keeping an eye on Grace because you didn't want her to get too drunk or something bad to happen. And you didn't really at the time – you weren't really like boozing like crazy – um, or let's just say this, you weren't how you were your junior and senior year. We'll say that. And me and Josh were just joking around saying we were going to fight everyone in the house. And then obviously as a joke, we weren't really going to. And then Grace, of course, was like, I don't even know how it got brought up, but she was basically saying how she's never punched someone before. And then, I, you know, me being me, I'm just like, well, you could punch me. You're not going to knock me out. You definitely don't hit hard. And yeah, it was- that was that was ridiculous. Yeah. She was like, yeah, it's on my bucket list. I want to punch somebody. You're like, yeah, okay, hit me. And you, you, you're sitting down on the couch in my, in my dorm room, and she's standing up. So she's got like, I don't know, a foot and a half on you of leverage. And she comes down and just cracks you right on the cheekbone. And what do you do? You literally go, oh, it just dazed me, but I'm fine. I, w- I was fine until I went back to school. And right before we had a team meeting, my eye was like damn near shut. In yeah. black and blue, and coach was like, uh, our coach at the time was like, what the hell happened? Did you get into a fight? I'm like, nah, long story short. And then a couple of the guys that I told were like, yo, some girl hit him. <laughs> yeah, that video, I, it's got to be on like my old laptop or something. That video is unreal. It it's like classic. Yo, Yo, she... and, then, and then she followed that up with the slap heard around the world at Harbor Fest. Uh, well, I didn't. I let I let her do it because I was so drunk and I was just like, "Yeah, you could slap me." And everyone, it was like it, the party like, stopped. Know, yeah, like it was like the music cut off. Everything and everyone was just staring at me. I was so drunk. I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna feel that in the morning." I don't know why I let her do that, but that's kind of like I know, like when I have her on, we'll talk about that. But that's kind of like how her and I hit it off, and then obviously always like instigating you and getting yeah. you stirred up because. When she was younger, she was always wanting trying to party, and I mean, she always did party, but she was always trying to be the life of the party, and, and mm-hmm. she is, and stuff like that. And you were always like, "Grace, you need to chill." And then me and Josh were just like, "Nah, dude, you're good," <laughs> and you yeah. would get so mad. Um, so one thing I wanted to bring up on here to talk to you about was, um, I know like we've had proper conversations about it and stuff like that, but when you went away to Oswego, you had a really hard time at first like you were very homesick it you struggled a little bit like was that because again like not in a bad way but in high school you were a little bit more introverted a little bit more unsure of yourself 
Um, definitely didn't have the self-esteem you do now, which then again, it's high school. No one has self-esteem like that. Um, how, like, what was that like? Um, I think, I mean, as you know, I mean, you know, my family, obviously you're basically Mm -hmm. a part of it, but you know how like tight knit we are. Uh And, um, so that was part of it. I mean, I had never really spent any time away from my family my sister's my best friend and my siblings, you know, they were super close. So I had never had any significant time away from them aside from, you know, like a weekend away at a friend's house or like a vacation somewhere. Right. So that was the first factor. And then I would say the second factor was like, um, you're thrown into a situation where you re- you don't know anybody and you're completely responsible for everything that you do. There's nobody looking at you. There's nobody questioning what you're doing. You know, your parents aren't, you know, dictating anything. It's just you. So that's a stark contrast as well. Um, and then, you know, I'm coming fresh off of my ACL surgery. I had just rehabbed and I'm in this new, new team, this new lacrosse team where I, I want to perform well. So I'm putting all this pressure on myself academically and putting all this pressure on myself. Um, so yeah, it was just a culmination of all those things where I, I felt like a brand new person in a brand new space and I didn't know what to do. So the first thing I wanted to do was, you know, run back to my comfort zone, which was, you know, my home and my, my parents. And I remember my mom and dad still bring this up because they think it's the funniest thing. But <laughs> I mean, I literally cried. I cried. I cried every single day. I called home crying every single day to the point where they would like pass the phone because nobody wanted to talk to me. Cause they're like, oh. <laughs> here's Esther again, just bawling her eyes out. It was rough. I mean, it was, it was, it was bad. And they're, they're angels for putting up with me, but it, it was bad. But the funny thing is, is I remember calling my mom at one point and I wish I could forget this because they never will. Um, my mom goes, Esther, you were crying on the phone. You're like, I don't care. I'll come home. I'll work at Wegmans for the rest of my life. Yo, you hate Wegmans. Uh, yeah, now I do. And I did at that point, but I was like, man, anything's better than, like, being up here and feeling lonely and, like, super scared. But, yeah. I, uh, so the I first forgot. two months were, were pretty rough. <clears throat> and, too, like, you know, I had never partied in high school. Like, I just did not do that. I, I guess I'm, I was introverted. <laughs> Stop. I guess I was introverted in that respect, too. Like, I was super into just being really good at school and, and good at sports. It's all I wanted to do. Um. So, you know, you get to college and you, the world opened up and you can do whatever you want. I was, you know, kind of freaking out about that, too. Um, and, too, I don't know. I mean, you know Jed, and Jed's awesome. He's the life of the party. But he got into so much trouble when he was, like, in high school. And I don't know how many times I heard my parents screaming at him for, you know, coming home drunk or coming home high or, you know, just, just being a teenager. But to me, I was like, oh, my gosh, I could never be yelled at like that. Like, I can't. I, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it. So, you know, I was super, yeah, I was super uptight, very goody two shoes type A in high school and, and trying to um, immerse myself in college culture was hard because it was such a stark contrast to what I had been used to. And I didn't want to be that way anymore. I wanted to experience things. I wanted to have fun. I wanted to, you know, just go out and party and kind of experiment with being a very social extroverted person. So yeah, the homesickness with all those factors combined made the homesickness very, very strong to a point where I really didn't get into a groove to where I felt confident in where I was until I want to say probably beginning of November. It took, it took three and a half months, I would say before I stopped calling home with, you know, a choked up voice and tears in my eyes. 
Yeah, they speaking of Jed, and I, I bring this up all the time, and I know you've heard this from me so many times, but my freshman year, he was a senior, and he was in the back of this class, back of one of the classes I was in. Oh and my I gosh! Was, yeah. <laughs> and that was when like it was like a sin to have your phone out. Like yeah, you oh yeah. Phone, you had your phone. You looked at it even in your locker. Like they're taking that from you. You're getting detention. And this man's on his phone, feet up on a desk. And I think it was Mr. Andrews, the English teacher, that was like, "Jed, what are you doing?" He's like, ah, "I just got to finish this call, man." <laughs> and I was just like, "Who the hell is this kid? That is, <laughs> that is the craziest thing I've ever seen." Like I was, how old are you when you're a freshman? Like 13, 14? No, you're yeah, you're like you're fifteen. Okay, so. Yeah, I mean, you're. I mean, now we're like, oh my gosh, we're babies back then. But I just thought that was the craziest thing I've ever seen, and that was my freshman year of high school, and I was just like, dude, what what is going on? And it was like the first week of high school too. And then oh, on top yeah. of that, and then on top of that, like knowing like Kyle Blask, Nick Sags, and all those older guys because of uh, Dom, and and then like obviously his brother's older friends and stuff. I was just like, yo, like what? I, I'm in for a rude awakening. Like, I have no idea what I'm about to experience these next four years. But um, yeah. back to what you're saying, like, what did you, because, again, like, to me, it's like a complete 180. To you, it might not be. But, like, wh- how did you finally, did you go see someone or just, were you just like, okay, this is going to be a, a big, big major growth period for me? Or, like, what, because some kids, like, just pack it in and go home. Yeah. So, I would say the first thing was, even though I had told my mom, yeah, I'll come home and everything. And I was crying my eyes out. And that's literally all I wanted to do. I would say the number one, my dad and my mom were like, we're not coming up there. We're not coming to get you. You're sticking it out. We're not doing that. They didn't, they, they definitely were there to support me, but they drew the hard line. They're like, no, Esther, you chose to go to school here. You're going to stick it out. You know, this is your decision. You go through it. Homesickness is a part of it. You got to see it through. So they, so they didn't, they didn't baby me in that respect. I was like, okay, well, I got to suck it up or you know, or something else. I don't know what else is going to happen. I mean, I guess that's the only option is to suck it up. And uh-huh. secondly, um, I th- it's pro- it was probably in each um, dorm room, but in the in the first floor of my dorm room, I had just been walking by like a like a common room, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And there was a sign on the door that said "Open like counseling every four like four o'clock every Wednesday" or something like that. And I saw that I was like, oh, man, I should probably go because I really do just need to talk to somebody that's not my parents that, you know, so I don't bother them with me crying anymore. So I can just talk to somebody who doesn't know me. So I went and the first time I met with this woman, it was just me like there was nobody else there because it was supposed to be like a group thing. But I was the only one that was in there. And she's just like, so like, what's going on? And I just I, I literally just wept in front of her and I sobbed. And that's pretty much all I did. And at the end of it, she was like, OK. And then she told me to a few things. and I couldn't believe the release I felt to just kind of tell somebody that wasn't, you know, a friend or a family member what I was going through and how I was feeling. And then I went, I saw her every Wednesday for probably two months, I think. Uh-huh. Um, I think I, if I remember correctly, her name was Robin and she was a godsend. She was awesome. Um, so definitely seeing her. And then um, my dad gave me some pretty good advice where he was just like, Esther, just focus on one day at a time. Like, you know, cause you go to your classes the first year and they give you the syllabus um, and they tell you, you know, you have these papers due, you need these types of grades. And me being, you know, super type A about my grades, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? How am I going to play lacrosse, go to school, get good grades, yada, yada, yada. Um, and he was just like, Esther, just wake up. Okay, you woke up, go eat breakfast. Okay, you ate breakfast, like literally just do one thing at a time, worry one day at a time. And that's it. And that's what I started to do. I made a schedule every day. And I was like, okay, eat breakfast, 
walk to class, work out, do this, 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 go to practice, come home, do homework. It was very, I needed to get into a very robotic type of routine. Um, and then on the weekends or like, you know, like weeknights when I didn't have anything going on, I challenged myself to be social. So I went and did clubs. I went and, you know, if the upperclassmen invited me out to like their, uh, like the village where they lived, like where upperclassmen lived, I went and I walked over there and I hung out with them. You know, I did, I made sure I forced myself to be social so I could break out of my shell and get, get uncomfortable to a point where I was just like relaxed in the situation. I was just trusting my instincts and, and kind of relying on, you know, the, the things that I had, the comforts that I have with like people I know, cause then I could build those relationships with people I didn't. So I think yeah. those are the things that helped me through that time where schedule talking to someone like a therapist, counselor, um, and listening to the advice of people who had been through it before, you know, cause my dad went away to college and all that. And, you know, he knows what he's talking about, even though sometimes we don't think our parents do. They definitely do. Absolutely. That's the worst feeling too, is like when you're like, yeah, I'm going to challenge myself. I'm going to go out. I'm going to do this. And then you're actually. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) And then you're you're like, you're like looking in the mirror, you're hyping yourself up. You're like, I got this. I got this. I can do it. And then you get there and you're in that situation. You're then something takes over your body and you're just like, you like almost have like a panic attack and you're just like, okay, I can't do this. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I, re- I distinctly remember the first mixer I went to, I went without alcohol. Cause I mean, I didn't know how to buy, obviously I couldn't buy it cause I didn't have, <laughs> I you didn't know. know how to buy. You well, I mean, you know what I mean though? Like I didn't know how to ask people, like, I don't know. I had never done it before. So Yo, you I'm sitting there at the party it. with like jean shorts on and like a t-shirt. Like I do not look like, you know, like what college girls look like when they go out. <laughs> I looked like I was going to like a graduation party. Um, and I was sitting there on the couch and thankfully my like upperclassmen on my team were some of the greatest people I know. And Meg, she was a captain and she came up to me and she's like, do you have any alcohol? And I was like, no. She goes, all right, well, let me just run to Kinney's drugstore really quick. And I'll go get you some. And I was like, okay, thank you. So she goes, she's gone for like a half an hour, brings me back like a six pack of Smirnoff's. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And yeah, at that moment, I was like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't me. Like, what's going on? But honestly, I, I want that was one it is one of the most memorable moments of my college career, because they welcomed me with open arms. They didn't force me to do anything. They didn't pressure me into anything. And I was literally allowed to either sit there in the corner or, you know, get up off my ass and have fun. And I would say because of those people, because they were so cool, I it was easy for me to make the choice to get up, you know, and talk to people and dance and drink and whatever, you know? Uh, so that's definitely a good memory because I was, I was woefully unprepared for uh, freshman year for sure. That's so fucking funny. I, the, uh, I mean, I swear, whoops. <laughs> but, uh, um, no, that's, I had like a similar experience. I mean, not similar totally, but like at Hobart, I was just like, ah, I got to get out of here. And then as soon as I got to Mercier, it's living with Mr. Man, Colin, and then of mm-hmm. course, like Megan being on the team, Ben Brooks. And well, I didn't know Ben like that at the time, but all those guys, they were just the first party I went to. Megan was just like, yeah, it's my boy from back home. It's my boy. This, this. And then I knew uh, Trevor Vargo. I knew because we played lacrosse against him in high school, Marco. Um, and then just like Mr. Man, all those guys were just like, Hey, you're the new guy. Like, what's up? You're one of the boys. And I think like when you have people around you that even though you don't know them that well, and your guards a little up because you, in your situation, you were a little guarded, a little introverted and you didn't know 
not that you didn't know how to act, but you were so outside of your comfort zone, like knowing you the way I've always known you to how you are now, you were, I could say that as an outsider, you were very outside your comfort zone, just like how like, oh, yeah. me, me not having a good experience at my previous school. Um, and, and which true, I'm saying like, I didn't, I never felt like I could be me at that school. Um, I was, I was guarded, even though I had a blast when I was at Hobart as much as I shit on it. Um, but it it was more so of like, okay, I'm at a new school. I don't know these kids. I have two years left to college. Like I want to be myself, let loose, get wild. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know these kids. And I think like for you, how you had girls that were just like, Hey, what's up? Like you boozing? Like, what's the deal? And made it super welcoming and comfortable for you. Just like how, you know, obviously like Mr. Man, Colin, um, uh, I'm trying to think Marco, Ben Brooks, Derek Richards, Crow, the Plaskies, like all of them are just like, yo, what's good? You're the new kid. Elijah too. Elijah was the first kid I met. And he's just like, yo, what's up? I'm from Jersey. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yo, what is going on? But like, I think when you have people that are like that, they, it kind of, um, cause it's not always like that. I think it kind of helps you and is like, okay, like I'm fine. I'm good. Like, I can be myself and obviously I'm going to grow a little bit. And was it like that for you with those girls? Oh, absolutely. It, and another thing that sticks out in my memory was we used to do this. I can't remember specifically what it was, but there were things that they would make, you know, underclassmen do and whatever. But they had, I remember this one point where one of my, one of the upperclassmen, they were like, oh, like freshman, you need to do this. It was something like wall sits or like push-ups at a party, right? Uh-huh. Something stupid like that. And I remember they were saying and like yelling at us to do it because we're all like in a line. And then I think because one of them knew that I was a little bit more like hesitant because, you know, I hadn't drunk, like had any been drinking before or done any of this partying type of stuff. She came up to me, like literally whispered to me. And she's like, you don't have to do it if you don't want to. And then she went back to like yelling at us to do it. And I was like, how cool is that? That I can, I can actually trust that they're not going to make me do anything I don't want to do. That's completely voluntary because kids, unfortunately, are put in situations in school where you know, they feel like they have to be stupid, drink themselves into oblivion, be promiscuous, whatever. And they made it clear that, you know, you're your own person. You can choose what you want to do. Like, this is just supposed to be fun. And that made me so comfortable where I'm like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. Like, I'll get down and do five push-ups in the middle of this party and heels. Sure, I'll do that for you. So, yeah, I definitely, I was so blessed with a group of girls, like, above me, both the seniors and the juniors that were um, just amazingly welcoming. Even the, even the sophomores too. I mean, um, I, you probably met, uh, Miranda. She just got married. So she's Miranda Beisner now, but in her being from Buffalo, she kind of took me under her wing and I was so grateful for that. Cause I was just like, yo, where am, where am I? And in Oswego, especially, I was like, I am in a different universe. Someone help me. <laughs> no, literally that's like, uh, it, it's similar. Cause like in the locker room, Ben Brooks is always just like, yo, new kid or he wasn't even saying like new kid but he was always just like new kid or megan's boy like whatever or like just making it light he's always like yo we're having poker night at my place he's like come over but i i tell him when i had him on the podcast i told him i'm like dude no offense like i never told you this but i never went over because i was still like unsure of like who i could trust who i could let my guard down by and and i told him too i was like coach ryan gave me the option live with brady or mr man or you and vaughn and he's like well you fuck that one up <laughs> but but at this but at the same time like um I feel like when you have people that are like that, especially for you, when you're very uncomfortable to begin with, whereas you were just straight up uncomfortable um, or a little bit more introverted, whereas me, I was guarded because I had a different experience. 
it's almost in a way where you feel as though you can embarrass yourself. You can put yourself out there doing stupid stuff and you don't have to worry about that fear of judgment because they're kind of in a way egging you on to just be yourself and be goofy and be silly. Oh, right too. And I think, yeah, no, I've had, I had several experiences like that with my team where I definitely made a fool of myself and embarrassed myself, but they never held it against you and they would, you know, make lighthearted jokes about it, but it was kind of just like a rite of passage. Just like, yeah, man, like we're all here. We all do stupid stuff, but it's fun. You know, as long as you're taking care of yourself and we take care of you. Yeah, it's all uh, good. Yeah. And you lived with your sophomore year when I came up, you were living with, uh, cause Aaron, was Aaron playing lacrosse yet or no? No, she played ho- uh, hockey her freshman year. Um, and then she tore her Achilles at the end of the year. So from, so sophomore, and junior year, she didn't play a sport. It wasn't until senior year that she played lacrosse. Yeah, because those girls are nuts. Like, nuts in a good way. Like, Taylor, Aaron, Jamie, um, all those girls that you had as roommates. Like, Heather, oh, yeah. Heather, wasn't, Heather wasn't your roommate, but still. And then, like, Kelsey and all those other girls, of course. Yeah, I definitely, yeah, like I said, I definitely had a great group of friends in college that were just awesome to be around. But I will say, sophomore year, did you know that I did? So, before I moved in with them in the, in the, we called it the penthouse. I didn't know any of them. No, I thought you were all, I thought you became friends with them. And then it was like, no, not at all. So at the oh. end of freshman year, I played lacrosse with Jamie. She's the only one that I knew. So I played lacrosse with Jamie at the end of freshman year. She was like, Hey, like me and my friends, were going to be in a six person suite in Onondaga, but the six person decided she doesn't want to live with us. So we have an open spot and you would be in my room. Do you want to be my roommate? And I was like, oh, I really don't want to live with five other people. Like, I really like my space. I also don't know any of them. So I really don't want to. And I was thinking in my head, like, uh, I don't know what to tell her. But then part of me was like, this could be really good for me. It could break me out of my shell. I could, you know, I could gain all these new friends. It could be fun. So it was like a month and there was a deadline to submitting your housing deposit. And she's like, hey, Esther, like, I really got to know, do you want to be our six roommate and I was like sure I'll do it whatever and then <laughs> sophomore year we move in and there so I move in my nan and Jaji and my mom and dad helped me move in so we move in all my stuff I had to go to this captain's meeting um so I was gone until like I don't know seven or eight o'clock I come back and they're in the common room and they're yelling they're drinking they're on the couch like jumping up and down they're being loud and I go in my room and I sit down I'm like what did I just do to myself <laughs> like why did I agree to live with them and then so I had showered and I'm like doing like getting ready for the first day of school or whatever and they're all in the common room they go Esther come out here come hang out with us and I was like oh fuck like, no <laughs> but I go out there and I sit on the very end of the couch like as far away from them as I can get and I'm like you know I, I'm like I'm like hugging my knees I'm kind of just watching them do their thing because they were all friends they all knew each other so they're all mm-hmm. comfortable with each other and I was just sitting there. I'm just like, yo, this is this is insane. And then it ended up the be- like being the best decision I could have ever made because I love them all dearly and they're my best friends. So it worked out. Shout out Jamie for for making that decision and inviting me to live with them because without that, I would probably be some weirdo in the corner. No, I yeah, and I love seeing them too because anytime I see Taylor, anytime I see Aaron or Jay, I, as soon as I see them, I bust out laughing. Yeah, <laughs> they know it too. They know it too. <laughs> yeah, they're awesome. Because you never know, you never know what you're gonna get, and they're all funny in their own way. The oh, yeah. um, how did you? Because I I didn't even know this, but Kelsey brought it up when I did an episode with her. But you were a captain as a sophomore. How the hell did that happen? Yeah. Um. So, 
one of the things freshman year that helped with like my mental health and everything was um was working out and I knew that I was good enough to be a starter and my coach believed in me and she knew that too but I was I was not in any shape to be a starter I couldn't get up and down the field I was I was overweight I just I was not in the right headspace and I had no confidence I had zero confidence to be on the field so once fall ball ended, I was like, all right, you know what? I deserve to be a starter, so I'm going to be one, but I have to physically be prepared to take on that responsibility. So I worked out like a madman, um, and I lost, like, about 50 pounds by the time freshman year ended, about 40 by the time season came. And I poured my heart and soul into lacrosse. I mean, I love the game. It's, it's one of the only times that I really feel, like, truly, like, stress-free and, like, myself. Um, mm-hmm. So I put my heart and soul into that, and um, – it, we got to a point in the season, I want to say about like halfway through and I, well, I had been starting and I think I was making a pretty good impact on the team and I, I worked super hard. Um, and I made sure that I made my team like a priority. Um, I went to team events and everything, but then we got to a point in the season where we were doing okay, but we kind of needed something to, to like boost our spirit, something to motivate us, like something that was just really going to like put, light a fire under us. Mm-hmm. And the current captain, her name was um, Ashley, but we called her smash. And she was like, hey, guys, like she went out on mass. She's like, hey, if you guys can think of anything that we can do before this next game that will fire us up, like I'm open to all the suggestions. Anybody say anything from freshman to seniors, like let's just come together and think of something. So me being me and my, you know, my little dorm or whatever, I was like, oh, man, you know what I think would be really cool if I did like a pregame prayer. But then I was like, no, like, I don't want to offend anybody. And I also don't want to be like super sappy. I also don't want to, you know, I was just like, no, 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 I shouldn't do it. But then I was like, you know what? even if people don't believe, you know, if they're not Christian, if they believe in something else, I still think like getting in a circle, joining hands, bowing our heads and visualizing the game before us is going to fire people up. And I'm like, you know what? I'll do it. And if Ashley or if smash says no, then we won't do it. So I texted her and I was like, Hey, do you think we could do this? And she's like, absolutely. Let's do it. So the first, so the next game we did a pregame prayer and I'm not crediting it to me and saying it turned our season around, but I think people really enjoyed having, that to look forward to and having someone speak on, you know, the game and how we were going to approach the game, giving thanks that we have this opportunity to, to play um, and things like that. And from that moment on, I gave the pregame prayer before every single game until the end of my career, which is an honor that I'm so grateful for. Um, but I think that move plus just being so dedicated to the game. And I, and I, I hate talking about myself like this. I feel like I sound conceited, but um, I think I made an impression on my teammates that I really cared um, about the team and its future and what we were doing. So at the end of the season, we voted for captains or whatever um, via email or something. And I had taken a nap and I woke up to all these texts saying like, congratulations. And I was like, what? Like, what are these people talking about? And my, my, like the upperclassmen and the girls exiting, like, you know, the seniors that were exiting voted for me as one of the three captains. And I was like, what is going on? It was the coolest thing. Like I had one of the coolest things I have ever experienced was as a freshman at the end of my first season, all these people looking at me like, yeah, we want you to, to lead the team next year. And I was like, yo, what an honor. Like, this is just, and that, I think that moment really solidified the fact that I was where I was supposed to be. Um, and that I was there, you know, for a reason. So yeah, mm-hmm. I was a freshman sophomore year and it was the cool, it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think it's conceited because it's like uh, it's it's the way you're talking about. It. It's not like you're out there being like, "Yeah, I'm that, <laughs> I'm that girl. It's good." <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I de- I'm. Yeah, I wasn't the best person. I wasn't definitely not the best person on on the team. 
Um, you know, I wasn't putting up mad points. Like I wasn't anything like that, but I think I worked super hard and I like, I care. I still like when I talk about it, I still get that feeling in my chest. Like I cared so much about lacrosse. It was so important in my life. So to have that was just an honor because I could put even more love into the game as a leader. I felt like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's actually um, how Grace and I kind of got a little bit closer was because remember in the summer we would work out together, me and you, and then she started coming uh, with us when we would shoot. Yo, I remember because we went shooting and I brought Grace and she <laughs> literally just stood there like watching us. She didn't know what to say. She'd shoot a few balls and she was just like, all right. Like, oh yeah, because the one day I was so mad and I was just going off about, <laughs> you know, I'm not bringing it up on here, but I was going off about something and I was just sitting there nonstop and I could see, I could see Grace like laughing to herself and smirking. And then when like we when her and I talk about it, she was just like, dude, I had no clue who you were, and I'm just like, damn, this kid, this kid's big mad. <laughs> and she was just like, I didn't know you. You didn't really talk to me. And then. Uh, when I have her on, she's going to obviously tell it, but she'll never let me live it down how at Freshman Mixer in high school, um, she came up. Oh, my gosh. She's like, hey, I'm Esther's sister. <laughs> now, I don't remember it, but she's, she swears, which I, she's not a liar, so I believe her, but I genuinely don't remember it. But she was just like, yeah, you thought you were Mr. Joe Cool, and you were just like, okay. And she was yeah. just like, I was so excited to like say hi to you, and you were just like, basically like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish I was there to see that. I I generally don't remember that, but like I probably did do that. But I mean, hey, what's it? It doesn't matter anyways. But um, yeah, that's true. A couple, a couple things from that. Like Kelsey, when I was talking to Kelsey, she said the she said the same same thing. I mean, I I know like you and I have the relationship where we don't we're not like boosting each other twenty four seven. It's not like that type of thing. But like when Kelsey was like, oh yeah, Esther's someone that like I gravitated towards. Like how could you not? She's a leader. Da 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 da. When is that something that I mean, I know you. I'm basically asking for anyone that's listening um, for where I'm going next. But was that something that came about after you kind of got your mental health figured out? Or was that something like, how did that come about? Because I know like when you are going through it, you're not like you're you're in no way, shape or form in a position to like have people like follow your lead. It's. So to answer the first question, you know, like, did that come about after, you know, after I had kind of found my self-confidence um, in middle school, I had been a captain of, of the sports teams I was on and in high school I was too. So I think it was just a natural, I gravitated toward that position. I really liked being in a position where um, I could help facilitate a team work towards something. I really liked being in that position. I thought I was, I thought I was good at it. I thought people listened to me. Um, so it was, it was a position that I had always naturally gravitated towards and I liked being in. Um, so it was definitely a goal of mine in college to have it happen that soon. I didn't think that was going to happen, but it was always a goal in college to once again, be in one of those positions. Uh -huh. um, and then as far as not being in the right state of mind, um, when I was going through, you know, the homesickness and everything, it definitely being a captain wasn't on my radar and nor was it something I had to be responsible for because I was a freshman, but I will say to that, there were definitely points throughout my career where, you know, personally, I had things going on or things I was stressed about. But one of the things that's great about athletics and to anyone who's played a sport is that when you're in practice or you're on the field, literally nothing else matters besides what you're doing on the field or in practice, you know, and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that. And of course, there are going to be things that are going to 
be in the back of your head that are really going to stress you out or make you sad, like things that are happening in your life. But I think one of the great things about playing a sport is that when you do enter that arena where you're in practice or you're in the weight room, you only have one job and that's to physically perform and to practice and to, and produce. And that's all you have to worry about in that two hours, you know, two hour game or, or 30 minute lift. That's all you have to worry about. So were there times being a captain outside of that where it was hard because I really had to lead by example and whatever I had going on, I kind of had to keep on the back burner or keep quiet. Sure. There were times where it was tough, but um, I think that's one of the great things about sports is that you can, it's easier to separate uh-huh. um, for some people. It's not, I, I mean, I don't want to speak for everybody. I think for some people it's really hard to separate, you know, the external stuff from, you know, playing a sport. But for me, it was like a curtain fell. And I, who I was outside of sports didn't exist when I was in practice or at a game. Uh-huh. There was a, a complete divide. And then um, when I was on the field, that's all that, that's all that counted. And I think that showed through, you know, how I practiced and how I played. Because I played every game and every practice like it was the last one I was going to be in. You know, mm-hmm. I, I tried to run every sprint like it was the last time I was going to have my legs underneath me, you know. So. Yeah, no. I Yeah, no, I, I, I see what you mean with that. See, like me, on the other hand, I had to take a – I took a little leave of absence from Hobart, from Hobart when I was playing. Like we were in a we were in a lift, which I know I've I've talked to you about this before. We yeah. were lifting, and I was just like, "Yo, I I'm like I, I like I physically can't do this." Like, and I literally yeah. just like before I was about to like take the bar off the rack, I literally put it back on, and like I forget who was my partner, but I was just like, "Yo, I'm like, dude, I feel sick. I'm like, I feel sick to my stomach. Like, I gotta go to the bathroom." And I just remember leaving the uh, the weight room. And I went, I, I sprinted from like the weight room all the way back to my dorm, just to full workout gear, everything like across campus, Yeah. called my mom, called my mom and was just like, yeah, I need to, like, I, I got to leave. Like, I can't be here anymore. And then obviously I, I told coach, I'm just like, yo, like, I think I want to quit playing lacrosse. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. And he was just like, listen, like, no, like, I'll give you, I'll give you like a week, two weeks, figure out what you got to figure out. And then come back to me with the decision but like I don't think that you mean what you say so um obviously I came back and then I ultimately transferred but me transferring was two totally different reasons than like what I was actually going through but for for those that don't like for me like I it literally was like like I I talked to you about this before kind of like on Super Bowl Sunday when um I wasn't talking and you were just like I thought you were just super drunk and I was like no like I literally was like like I didn't, I couldn't, I literally couldn't speak because like my body was just taken over with like panic, like for people that are like that, but are in a leadership position or are in a position where they need to perform. I wasn't in that position. I was just a, I was a, I believe a, what was I, a sophomore at the time? Yeah, I was a sophomore and I wasn't even, I wasn't even playing at the time. So like, it didn't really matter for me, but like for other people, they, they can't comprehend, I can't even speak. Compartment. I fuck. I don't even know what I'm saying. But they can't. They they can't set it aside, right? Um, because they're in that leadership position. So like, how would you like if a teammate came to you and was just like, "Yo, Esther, like I know I'm supposed to be carrying the load, or I know I'm supposed to be doing this, like, but I just can't." And they like, what would you say to them? Well, we had a few situations like that, and of course, you know, I was sympathetic to it, and. I think everybody has their different styles of dealing with things. And ultimately it's the, it's the, you know, it's the coach's decision of how she's going to deal with that. But if a player were to come to me and say that, you know, I would say, Hey, do what you need to do to get your mind right. Because really at the end of the day, you're a human being who exists, you know, outside of 
academics and outside of sports. And if you can't be still in a room by yourself and be okay, then you're not going to be okay for anything that you're trying to do. So you definitely need to take care of yourself. But on the flip side, you know, and maybe this is me being harsh or old school or whatever. I would also, you know, kind of remind them like, Hey, you know, you made a commitment and you, you know, you should think about that as well because um, you know, if you're not showing up and if you're not here, or if you're showing up and you're not taking care of yourself, you're letting the team down. But it wasn't ever, I never wanted to, and I, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I, I fell short because sometimes I think I was a bit of a hardo for sure. And other people definitely tell you that, but sometimes I think maybe I was a little insensitive and that's why I prefer that they take it up with the coach because I mean, that's, you know, their decision. Um, but I always try to emphasize that, you know, you've got to do what's right for you. And if that means taking some time, okay, but that means you do come back and you're ready to go. But, you know, uh-huh. everybody has different ways of dealing with stuff. And of course, everybody's going to wish that they did it their way. And sometimes I definitely had that mentality. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what I would say to a player it would be like, Hey, take care of yourself, but remind, you know, when you're good, remind yourself of your responsibilities and come back ready to roll. Yeah, of course. Cause it's, it's like that hard, like, uh, like teeter collar balance. Cause it's just like, you don't yeah. want to, you're, you're not trying to like, get rid of your obligations and then of course like you know this is going to be an unpopular opinion but there are some people that unfortunately could use that as an excuse to not fulfill a commitment so it's like oh yeah absolutely yeah no there were definitely some people that i encountered that used it as an excuse just to you know to slack off for sure but then there were some uh people who were really going through it that needed a pause and i was like yeah you go take you go take care of yourself and you come back when you're ready yeah and for, cause I know like we related to this a little bit, but like for people like me or you who um, are more so of just like, not that we push things off, but we're very like strong willed and um, like more like, I got this, I got this, I got this. When mm-hmm. you push things off, you ultimately end up just cracking under the littlest of circumstance. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. I, and it's not, it's obviously not in your mind. It's not a little circumstance. Otherwise you wouldn't have cracked But that constant pressure and being like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, because you don't want to, you know, look, I don't want to say look weak, that's not the right word, but you don't want to come off, you don't want to be vulnerable, because you don't want, you, you're you usually looked at as the one that people go to, where people look at you as like, oh, hey, like, if I need advice, I'll come to you. Um, when those situations happen, and like, you do end up just like cracking, like, kind of like the time when I was out in Denver, and I, that one night I called you bawling my eyes out crying and you're like, yo, what is, are, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, like I'm driving around the city. Like I just need someone to talk to. Obviously I didn't say it like that. Cause I was like, I could barely speak. I was crying so hard. Yeah. How do you, how do you like, cause I know something like even with you, you know, you've called me on different circumstances time in similar fashion. How do you now after, um, going through something like that or experiencing something like that are you a little bit easier on yourself of like okay yo when something's bothering me I need to address it right away it's not a matter of like can I handle it or not it's like if I'm uncomfortable I need to address it right away rather than letting that shit build um I think I think one of the things that kind of gave me the realization that I that I do have to do that like I do have to talk to people is that I know like people don't don't like always ask me how I'm doing or how I'm feeling or if I'm okay. Cause I think they just assume that I am and I'm doing yeah. okay because that's the front that I'm always giving to people. Like I have things under control. My emotions are good. I've got everything set up. You know, my future is bright. I know what I'm doing. And I always kind of put off that, that air that I've got it going on, I guess you could say, you know, to put it plainly. So people uh-huh. never really ask like, how are you doing? I like, how are you feeling? You know, 
And that, and I didn't really realize that until like I had gone through some stuff, especially during like the first year that, um, like the year that the gap year that I took off, I think that that was super apparent because I went through, I don't know how many mini breakdowns that people probably have no idea about, you know? Um, I mean, no, no, I don't, I don't mean this in like a haha type of way, but like, I, no, I would definitely say, cause like I said on the, I said on previous episodes, like when I brought you up, I'm just like, damn, I'm like, that girl's been my like fucking full-time therapist. <laughs> she doesn't get paid that. <laughs> obviously, obviously like i know like i know about a lot of like about all of them and like obviously you know about all mine but like to your point it's like you like you said like and you never notice that most people aren't like hey how you doing because you, you always have it together right and it seems like i do and i and, and and for a while i was like okay like i need to just be honest with people and i need to be able to ask for help which is something that i had I've always struggled with is asking people, especially if it's emotional help, like, Hey, I just need to talk to you. Or like, can like, you just give me a hug for a second? Cause I'd really just need to like release, you know? Mm-hmm. And I've had moments like that now where I've been honest, you know, just with the people around me. And I think going through um, the breakup that I had in law school really, really brought that to my attention because I could not handle that alone. I mean, I called you immediately bawling my eyes out. I, you know, thought... I called my parents. I called my parents the next day and even like, like my brother, like Josh reached out to me, you know, Jed and Julie, Grace, like they were all there for me. And then like, I think that really brought to like the forefront of my brain that I was like, I just need to, in all things, like it's unfortunate that a breakup had to, you know, bring it to my attention, but I really need to, in all things, ask for help and be emotionally available to receive um, like care and help from other people. You know, I can't be, I, I don't have to be a tough, know it all got it all together person all the time no yeah and when you called me bawling your eyes out yo i was we were drinking at the time we were just about to go out like downtown denver and you called me and i like couldn't hear you because we had music playing at first i went in my room and like i i like didn't understand you and then i heard that you were crying and i mind you like we've been what friends for 10 plus years now I've one never seen you like that. And two, I thought like something happened to Josh or someone like Josh or Grace. And I'm like, and you know, when you're like a little like tipsy, a little drunk, like, you know, the, the adrenaline starts rushing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's not like I could have done anything because I'm halfway across the country, but like that was, um, yeah, which is crazy because I've told you this, but I'm going to say it on here anyways, but that was after you did that, that was when it was the first time that I was like, oh, it's okay. Yeah. To on the flip side. Yeah. To like, if you're like, oh fuck, like I'm closetly struggling or something like that, that you could like bring it up to someone else and open up to. Because it's not like, like I said, like I tell you everything, but it's more so just like with those certain things, you kind of are like, nah, 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 I don't want to bother them with that. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, I definitely agree. And then like, obviously, you taking that gap year off just from like law school, and then like the pandemic happened, and then you had to do law school during the pandemic. How much harder did that make, uh, like being in law school? Um, <laughs> it was definitely interesting, and it sucked. I mean, it was, it like so three L year. You have senioritis anyway. You just want to get out. You want to graduate. You want to start working. You want to be done with school forever. So there's that element. So whether the pandemic happened or not you know, you had senioritis, but then you had, we had two months left and the, the basically we're like, yeah, you guys aren't coming back from spring break. You're doing everything online. And it's not so much that it made 
um, law school harder insofar as like the material or anything like that or like going to class it was just like the motivation and and like you felt like there was no more purpose because you're sitting in your room by yourself you're staring at a screen the professors have pretty much mailed it in like they're pretty much checked out too <laughs> they gave you they gave us all the handouts all the exams were open book at that point and it was just kind of like all right what are we doing here well, let's just sign off let's just call the deal like we're all good to go you know, and the, but we had to go through the motions of doing finals and everything like that. And so, so I don't know if it necessarily made it harder, but it definitely made it um, less special to end. It was really uh-huh. hard to, it was hard to, you know, reflect on law school and be like, wow, like I did it three years. Like, yay, congrats, everybody. It was just kind of like, that really sucked. And this is pointless. And I did all that hard work to graduate in my bedroom alone. Awesome. But... <laughs> But I will say, you know, I was fortunate enough to be at home, like home in Buffalo when that happened. And when I did finish my last class, my, you know, my family, you know, threw a huge celebration for me, which was awesome. So that made it super special. That really reminded me, you know, yeah, like I just did this. I just graduated law school. This is pretty cool. But before that point, though, I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. (laughs) You would have thought you would have thought it was Grace that graduated law school that night. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She definitely she partied enough for everybody there. (laughs) Yeah, the funniest part was your dad the next morning. He's just like, yeah, I I don't know what was going on. He's like, Grace was drunk. He said Grace was drunk beyond repair. You... Oh man, that's that's funny. Do you uh, like what was law school like? Like, it, obviously, you had to do it. You are glad you did it because you wouldn't have been able to be an attorney had you not. But if there was, and this is a stupid rhetorical question, obviously, if there's a way to become a lawyer without going through law school, you would. Like, for some that may be listening, that may be considering law school, what are the pros and cons to it? Um pros obviously aside from the obvious becoming an attorney um and having you know a professional degree so that's the first benefit but I think so there are negatives I mean you work yourself to death you work yourself to the bone you're up till all hours of the night you get no sleep your health deteriorates rapidly um and unless you make some really hard choices and sacrifices to balance those things it's easy to let it go out of control it's easy to get a dependency on food or alcohol or anything else that's a stress reliever um, so there's a bunch of negatives. I'm not going to lie. Like it's hard and it's hard to find, to ground yourself and balance yourself, but the positives outweigh it. I mean, the work ethic that you develop in law school, I don't know where else I could have gotten that work ethic if it wasn't for working towards a professional degree. Um, time management is huge. Like I said, like if I wanted to have any type of concern towards my health, I had to schedule in, you know, using my, my lunch to run or, um, going to the gym at, you know, five 30 in the morning. Like I had, I had to make sure I was disciplined about those things. Um, so work ethic, time management. And then another positive was, and I think for me, it was a little bit easier to realize because I had taken off a year before law school, but there was a benefit to, to, to having all those pressures and having all those stresses and all that, you know, work that we had to do was kind of like being able to, in some moments to take a step back and to close my book and just be like, you know what, I'll be okay if I don't spend another hour on this homework assignment, or I'll be okay if I don't make this case brief that detailed and I go and do something else, like go hang out with a friend or watch a movie or take, you know, two hours to watch some TV or binge some Netflix. 
you know, or, or if I take this Saturday instead of spending it in the library from nine to five, I'm going to go, you know, drive home to Buffalo and see my family and hang out and maybe have a few drinks. Like you are so much more appreciative of life outside of work, life outside of academia, all of that kind of stuff. So that was a huge positive too. I, in law school, I think I have been more grateful for my friends and family than I ever had because they were, you know, the life outside of the bubble and they helped me burst that bubble plenty of times when I really, really needed it and I needed to get away. So I would say that's another positive. So work ethic, time management, appreciating, you know, that life goes on outside of a career. Um, yeah, yeah they, sure. uh, speaking of popping up with the bubble, the one night we came up, um, I don't even know. I think it might have been the, the day. No, when was it? Was it Green Beer Sunday? No, it was when Syracuse was playing Duke in the Dome. Oh, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And me and Josh came up and then um, we stayed. We I don't even know where you were, but we slept in your bed. But we were so drunk. We were eating cannolis or not cannolis. Uh, calzones. calzones. Yeah. Yeah. We were, eating, <laughs> we were eating calzones in your bed. Me and Josh just sleeping next to each other. And you said, would you find like buffalo chicken pieces? <laughs> yeah, I came home the next morning because I was at my then boyfriend's house. And I, also, I will say that's one of the drunkest I's, I've ever been at Syracuse because you two were here. <laughs> um, but yeah I was at his house so I came home in the morning and I walk in because you guys had left early and I walk in and there's a calzone box on the oven and there's like sauce on the cupboards and then I walk into my bedroom and there's a calzone box on my dresser and there's pieces of buffalo chicken on the floor and then there's like two indents of two bodies in my bed like you guys didn't even go underneath the covers and I'm like what are you doing here yo we had our shoes on and everything we were uh, we were trying to figure out how to turn the microwave on, and we're just like, nope, like nothing's working in here, and everything was just unplugged the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys are idiots. The I would say that not to not to be like all about like oh we were wasted, da da da, but that was the I would say the second runner up to Jed and Julie's wedding. Oh when, my goodness! Yeah, when we when we were at the rehearsal dinner, which that that. That wedding wasn't real. That wasn't real life, uh, no. let alone that rehearsal dinner. And I don't think I'll ever experience something like that ever again. How did we – we ended up putting down, what, four or five bottles of wine? But we did – I have no idea. I just remember you saying that – or, no, it was the waiter, waitress at the time saying that it's uh, unlimited wine. And I don't know who came up with the idea to just go glass for glass. And we were just the entire dinner pounding bottles of wine. I, I don't even, even think you. I ate any food. No, we had that little uh, mozzarella, little olive oil, and the tomatoes, <laughs> whatever, whatever it's called. No, I remember that chicken parm was bomb. All the food yeah, that got... weekend was bomb. I just remember I've got being, no idea. I just remember being wasted every time, just being like, Julie, I love Long Island. She's probably just like, okay, John. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that uh, rehearsal dinner, I don't know. How, yeah, I don't know how we agreed upon it either, but I remember telling you that it was, you know, unlimited bottles and i think we just agreed that it was gonna we were gonna have to take advantage of it you made me so uncomfortable with your grandparents <laughs> because because you're because you went to the bathroom because you thought you were gonna throw up your mom came back and was like yeah uh, thinking it was funny she's like yes yeah, in the bathroom and then we're and then i went back to the hotel with you because your grandparents were driving back and um you were like kind of freaking out because you were just like they can't know i'm drunk or like i can't be sick um i can't throw up and i remember the entire time i don't even remember what i was saying but i was just yapping away yapping away to your grandparents and i had my hand over your mouth because you had the yep. plastic bag 
and I could feel your hot breath on my hand. And I'm just like, yo, <laughs> yo, I have my hand over your mouth and I can feel your hot breath. And I'm like yapping away as your grandparents are talking. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like talking, saying whatever as they're driving, trying to find the hotel. And I'm like whispering to you. I'm like, yo, do not throw up. If you throw up, I will throw up. And then we're both screwed. Yo, oh my gosh. Yeah, that was tough. Uh, yeah. And I didn't, and I threw up in that little bag and I had no idea. But then, and then I threw up like a little bit got on my dress or whatever. And it was like, obviously it was literally just red wine that I was throwing up. So it got uh, on my, like the white part of my dress. I remember like we ran up, we sprinted out of their van and ran up to like the room. And like, I took off my dress, whatever got changed. And then you're standing there, like trying to help me with my dress. You're like, Oh, just leave it. And I'm like, no, John, I got to wash my dress. Yeah. You got thing was... so mad. You got yeah. so mad at me. Yeah. It was stained with red wine. I'm like, yo, you got to get this out right away. Otherwise it's going to be stained. I'm like, give me, I'm like, you were in the bathroom, but you had your dress in there too. I'm like, yo, give me your dress. And you're just like, don't tell me what to do. I'm like, fine. Peace <laughs> out. I'm out. I'm going to drink. I'm not doing this. Yo, I got the stain on. I actually wore that dress to work the other day. That's hilarious. That, uh, yeah, no, that wedding, shout out Jed and Julie, because that was the greatest wedding I've ever been to. I told them that when we were over uh, at your place for, after you finally got barred, it was kind of like. Do you remember, I think it's like you when you're in cars when you're drunk. Do you remember when we were in Marquette, first time mm-hmm. we're visiting Grace when we went to Surpriser? And oh, yeah. I, I got into it with that Uber driver because you had your head out the window and you thought you were going to puke. And you really, you didn't puke. And the I guy's didn't. like, no, you didn't puke at all. And I was getting mad because that guy's like, you guys got to get out or you pay me $80. And we're like, I'm like, buddy, we're not paying you $80. She's like, you're, you're puking. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> no, we're not. And I'm screaming at him. It's like. You felt like you were going to be sick. Grace is in the back laughing. And you're just like, yo, this has got to stop. This has got to stop. And then on the way back from Marquette, because we drove, that was when I got sick. And I was just Oh, my gosh. That was so funny. Yeah. I was like, yo, you got to pull over. You got to pull over. (laughs) And we're right there in the middle of Marquette's campus. I'm just yakking on the sidewalk as people are walking by me. (laughs) And I'm wearing a Marquette sweater, too. (laughs) Yeah. That was ridiculous. That trip was – that was bad. I mean, it was great. It was an awesome trip. But, again – one of the drunkest times I think I've had. Yeah, no, Milwaukee's a fun place. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you know, we've been talking for a little bit now, kind of like wrapping it up here. What, a uh, couple questions for you. So what would be, if you had uh, someone ask you about, now knowing what you know from your personal experience and obviously like what Grace went through and stuff, what would you say to like any girls that are like looking to get recruited or want to play college at the like the next level? Um, it's funny you brought this up because I was actually thinking about this today. Um, so I think in high school, there's a push, um, for people to go D1 and it's, and it's, and in division two and division, especially division three are shit on. I mean, they're pushed to the wayside. They're not given any value. Um, which now being someone who's been through it breaks my heart because I look at Grace's experience and other people that I know that went D1 and, Um, and I know how hard, like just from watching them play, like how hard it is to be a D1 athlete, the commitment, the schedule, the dedication. I mean, it runs, it absolutely runs your life. And there's so much more restrictions on what you can do socially. Oh my gosh. And the, and the perception of who you are as an athlete is taken a lot more serious. Um, and I think, so there's, there's all that, there's all that, right. There's all that commitment that goes with D1. And then you've got to think of yourself as a player and you've got to be honest with yourself and be like, okay do I have the skill to be a D1 player that's going to go through all of those restrictions and rules and dedications? Do I have the talent to make it worthwhile or am I going to be riding the bench? 
Whereas like for me, I knew that I was not D1 like a superstar. Like my skills were not there. You know, I'm an average player. I'm definitely a D3 player. That's for sure. I have no shame in saying that. But when I was looking at college, I was like, okay, I could go, I, I could probably make a D1, a lower, like a lower competitive, like D1 team, but I would ride the bench. And like, what fun is that for me to still have to go through the rigmarole of being a D1 athlete, but I don't get the glory of being able to, you know, lace up and get on the field and play and score some goals and, you know, like help my team. Mm-hmm. So when I was thinking about it, I was like, okay, so what's D1 and, or D2 and D3 about? And then I like, you know, I went for my visit for D3 and then finally being able to play, I was like, this is awesome because I'm literally here to play lacrosse because I love it. Not because it depends on a scholarship, not because it depends on anything else. I'm literally just here because I like to play the game and however much playing time I want is solely dependent on what I put into it. And I'm not being required to go to lift. I'm not being required to put in extra work. I'm not required to go to social like uh, study halls and everything like that. Like it's so much more lax but I think there's a greater emphasis on the love of the game. And again, this is my experience, but I think there's a greater emphasis on the love of the game because I had to bring myself to the weight room. You know, I had to do extra stuff outside of fall ball. I had to, you know what I mean? Like the people in D3 have to push themselves, I think a little bit harder because there's no set strict schedule that's being pushed on you from a, like we didn't have a physical trainer, you know, we don't have a strength and conditioning coach. We don't have nutritionists. We don't have, you know what I mean? So it's like, I mean, of course, there's got to be some DC programs that do have that, like, you know, huge ones. But, you know, Mm -hmm. for a SUNY SUNY team that has, you know, just the bare bones basics, like you're there because you love the sport. So if I'm looking at a a girl who wants to play any type of sport in the college, she's got to be honest with herself with her skill level, first of all. Like, are you are you able to at least by your sophomore year be a player on the field? You know, because do you really want to go to college and ride the bench or do you want to go to college and play some place, play whatever sport that you want to and have fun? Like, be honest about your skill level and don't just play D1 because it looks good or it sounds fancy. Like, look at other programs. Look at there's awesome D2 programs that win national championships. I mean, LeMoyne's men team went undefeated and won the national title. D2. You know, like you can you can do that and not be a D1 player. D3. I mean, Cortland, when I played Cortland, you know, was the best team in D3 and won nationals my freshman year. A D3, and they got the glory of being an, an amazing lacrosse program despite being D3. Like, so that's the first thing. You need to look at yourself as a player and say, okay, what's my skill level? What am I capable of? Do I have the potential to be greater than I am? I think most people in, at a high school you know, standpoint do, but what's that potential? Does that potential really equate to being a D1 starter, you know, that's, that's worthwhile? Or am I going to see the field when I'm a senior in D1, you know? And then, of course, there's other considerations like, okay, D3 gives no financial aid whatsoever in an an athletic sense. You don't get any athletic scholarships. So that's a consideration as well. You know, like, are you the type of player that can get a scholarship D1? And is that going to make, you know, the financial strain on you easier? And I totally respect that. Like, that's definitely a consideration. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, what do you really want out of your college experience? Do you want to be a part of the social aspect? I have no doubt that D1 athletes have the time of their lives partying, but I do know <laughs> from Grace's experience that they're more restricted too yes. in terms of, you know, because they're traveling more, you know, they're on planes, they're on buses. I mean, D3, the farthest we go is like a four hour bus trip. That's it. You know, so yeah, we can no. come back on a Saturday night and go partying. Like we don't miss, we really don't miss things unless we make it to like SUNYACs. So yeah, you got to consider like, what do you really want your social life to look like? Like, in D3, you can have extracurricul- extracurriculars outside of playing a sport where I feel like D1, that's a lot harder. You've got to make a lot more sacrifices. 
So it's really about balance between who do you want to be as a student? Who do you want to be as a social person in college? And who do you want to be as an athlete? And you got to be honest with yourself about all that. And there's absolutely no shame in saying, you know what? I don't want to play D1. I want to play D3. D3 is amazing. I mean, come on. You visited me up there. You saw me play in the cross games. Like, I was um, – I loved my life at Oswego because I, I know I made the right decision for me as an athlete and as a person. And I think that – and I think that coaches need to be honest with their players. And it's it's completely honorable to say, you know what? You should push for D1. I think you're – I think you have the potential. But I think coaches do a disservice to girls when they either don't bring up D3 or they pretend like someone's capable for more instead of saying, you know what? I think you're cut out for D3. I think that's your, I think that's the spot for you. Like you could be honest to people because that was never once brought up for me once in high school. It was D1 or bust. That's it. Yeah. There was, I actually, there was no reality check where it's like, you know what, Esther, you're good. Like you're a good player, but you're not, you're not cut out for D1. You should look for D3, D2, maybe, you know, if you're, if, if you, if you're comfortable. And yeah. that would have, and that, and my confidence too in high school probably would have been a lot stronger if I was like, you know what, I don't have to be a D1 superstar. I don't have to try to make myself that way because I'm just, that's just not me. I'm not capable of that. And that's okay. Yeah. I have a couple of things to follow up with that. So, um, where, where do you value that? Uh, you got to be real. Like, obviously, it, in high school, I think it's tough because, like, I don't think that kids are, I think kids are lied to just flat out like when it comes to how they're how they're valued and what how good they actually are because oh i agree because like and you know my mom you know my mom's no bullshit i i said to my mom i'm like look i want to go d1 if it's not d1 it's high high d2 because i didn't really like obviously like i love i like playing lacrosse and i love playing sports you know whether it's pick up basketball whether like whatever whether we're playing spike ball at your house like anything that's competitive i like doing um, but my mindset was more so like, okay, one, I want to have a cool college experience, play really cool teams, um, either play really cool teams, uh, on a D one schedule or have a chance to win like a national championship or something like that. And then yeah. of course, party my ass off and do those type of things. So my focus wasn't solely how it was with yours, where it's just like, I just love the game and I want to play. Obviously I love the game, but it wasn't like, so tunnel visioned as you are which I don't mean that in a bad way because that's not a bad thing but I what I yeah. but what I say is is that when I did first start getting um division one looks and started getting recruited by a decent amount of division one schools I started to tell my mom I said hey um can you start because obviously once you get your first taste of it you think that like okay this is just the beginning you know what I mean mm-hmm. and there was a couple schools I got recruited by that were more so of just like, Hey, we're keeping an eye on you. They're not, we're not necessarily recruiting you, but we're keeping an eye on you. Um, and so my mindset was like, Oh, I can play here. So I would always say to my mom, um, when you watch my games, pretend that you're running a D one program or you're running a high level program and recruit and you're trying to recruit me and give me feedback that way. And I always say it cause I was in the car I know Megan was in the car definitely the one time and I, I forget who we were playing. I had like four or five goals and I had the game winner and I asked my mom, like, how did I play? And she's like, you look soft out there. And I'm like, I, and I remember Megan being like, what, what are you talking about? Or something like that. And she basically was just like, well, like you look slow on defense. You didn't look like you were hustling for ground balls. Like the, I'm not recruiting you if you're not doing those things. Cause I could care less about the goals. I expect you to score goals because you're supposed to be this skilled if you're that at that level. But I feel like with a lot of parents, not knocking parents as a whole, because obviously you love your kid, you want the kid to do the best, but a lot of parents like lie to their kids and they're just like, yeah, you're good. When really it's like, 
no you're kind of trash <laughs> for not not like trash in total but like for you trying to go d1 or a high d2 or you know what i mean and then on no, top I, of it, I hear you yeah i i definitely feel as though you have coaches that um i like i know i personally had coaches where one coach that's something to me he's like hey i don't think you're good enough for this but then i had another coach that's like i think you could do this if you put in a little bit more work so it's like as a kid how do you like, how are you, you're not able to necessarily like depict all that because you're not mature enough at the time to understand like what is going on. And obviously it's not all out of love. So like, how do you clarify like being realistic with you? I don't want to say being realistic, but like knowing what you're capable of and what, knowing what you're not capable of. Um, I think, and it's hard because I mean, I didn't have this instinct when I was in high school, but I think it's important for high schoolers to talk to people who are actually playing lacrosse in college at any level. And to, mm-hmm. for them to be honest, because coaches, you know, unless they're fresh out of college and they're an assistant or something, you know, colleges are a decade removed from their college experience. And I think they're so removed that now they're f- just focused on churning out, you know, stellar high school athletes. Because mm-hmm. I think I think in high school, my talent wasn't nurtured. You know, and I'm not saying that my coach had to be up my ass and, you know, be on me all the time or whatever. But there was once there were other people who were clearly star players on the team. I was like forgotten mm-hmm. and all she, and, and my coach just focused on the star players because that's who was going to win the games. And that's who was going to get her in the paper. And that's who was going to win sectionals. And I was uh-huh. kind of forgotten about, and I don't want to make it sound like a pity party, but I just think to myself, like, wow, like how much better would I have been going in high school and going into college? If my coach had just been like, you know what, Esther, these are your strengths. You need to work on these. And I think this is where you could go with them instead of, okay, she's not a star player. So we're just going to kind of just let her do what she does. Because mm-hmm. the only person that was honest with me in that respect was my dad. He was like, yeah. Esther, you don't have, you don't have the confidence that you need. Like you need, you need to find it within you. You need to do something because I can see the way you play and you do not have confidence. And that was the first time I was like, oh, wow. And it kind of made me upset because I was like, wow, he's actually being real, like real with me right now. Like he's definitely like, right. But I don't want to admit it, you know? So I think for kids, it's hard for them to get that reality check because, you know, when you're a kid, you want to achieve great things and you want to set big goals, which is awesome. But mm-hmm. I think the one of the biggest things for kids is to have people who are in college. I think they should reach out to them and be like, hey, like, what's your experience right now at school? Yeah. You know, at all levels or for coaches to have, you know, former players come in and have an honest discussion and just say, okay, like, this is what you can expect, you know, and maybe this isn't for you. Maybe you thought you wanted to go to school for sports, but maybe it's not the right choice or whatever, what have you. I mean, I could go on for days, but yeah, I I think coaches, I think it's rare now to have coaches that are realistic because I think it's really about the image and the record, you know, which is an important part, but I think Mm -hmm. players get lost in the shuffle that could have been, you know, that could have been good players in high school and going into whatever division that they wanted to. Yeah, no. And the other thing is, too, is like, how much do you think coaching matters? Because like, I had a coach um, and a couple of the guys I played with know exactly who I'm talking about, but I'm not naming names, where he straight up was like, look, uh, you got to get a little bit more developed. But like, you are just being honest with you. You're the type of kid that would, if you were to go to the ACC, you would probably have to work like an absolute freak just to get a walk-on spot. So you're maybe, if you go D1, you're probably like mid-level D1, might not touch the field to your junior, maybe senior, unless like you really hit the wall, you really buckle down with your skills and you just tunnel vision it. Um, Mm -hmm. You definitely can play lower D1, without a doubt, high-level D2, any team D3 type of thing. 
But I would say for that that coach, just being straight up from day one, being like, look, this is what I see based on kids that I have coached that play at those type of schools. Um, uh-huh. I think that it gives you – I think that for me it gave me that confidence because, like, I didn't know. Like, I like there was kids, like, I would play against that would be going to a good school, and I'm just like, yo, I, you're trash. How are you at that school? Uh-huh. And then there's other kids that I thought were super good that weren't going to like really big schools. They're going to like local schools or they're going to a D three school or D two school. And so like, it never made sense for me. And then obviously when you're younger, I'm not saying it was the case with me, but kids, some kids are just mean. Some kids are just haters. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you kind of got to like, so how much does a coach's uh, influence play into that? Cause I know, like you were saying, some coaches are more focused on the stars versus like just being upfront with kids. But how are you, how do you think you could be upfront with a kid and just be like, listen, man, like, no offense. Like I know D1 kids, that's not you, but you could be a really good D3 player or D2 player. It's dependent on the coach. And I think the coaches need to do that more. I mean, none of my coaches ever did that for me in high school. And I think that would have been valuable if they did. But I know that when I got to college, my college coach, I mean, she pushed me to be the best player that I could be, you know, and Uh she didn't give me any special treatment, but she knew how to like tap into like that, that fire that I had within me to, to push me harder. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she knew, I, she knew, she saw potential in me. And she knew that I could be good. I mean, I had to do the work. I mean, she didn't, like I said, no special treatment. She didn't boost me when she didn't have to. I remember at first college game, I was scared shitless. I went on the field and I shit the bed. I did awful. I did not play well. I was scared. And the next practice, she's like, you know what, Esther, I thought you were going to be a starter. I thought you were going to be really good, like a really good player for this team. And you didn't do shit last game. Like, and she was mean to me. And I was like, and it fired me up. So I was like, you know what? She's right. I was like, forgive my language, but I was like, I was a pussy. I went out there and I did nothing to help my team. And from that, and then she didn't start me the next game. And it was against a trash team, like an awful team. And she didn't start me. And I was like, yo, never again. Like, I'm not doing this ever again. And she knew, and she would do that. Like in other times where I was like, I got into a funk or I know I wasn't performing where I should have been. And she knew how to just light that fire under me. Where she would mm-hmm. just say something like, oh, don't let her beat you. She's going to beat you. And I'd be like, oh, to hell she is. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and she, she knew how to fire me up. And I think those are special coaches that can do that. And I don't think all coaches do. I think a lot of coaches zero in on girls that are just naturally talented. And they don't focus on, okay, how can I get every single person on this team fired up to want to win for the team? It's nature versus mm-hmm. nurture. I mean, you got to be good. You've got to have talent. You've got to have that, you know, that want to work hard. And I think you have to have a good coach that wants it just as much as the players do and that want to um, be a disciplinary, that want to be a motivator, that want to be, you know, a friend in some circumstances. And I think that they need to play those roles and be honest with their players. So Mm -hmm. I think having a coach, a good coach is so crucial. I mean, there's only been, I, I mean, I can't cite an example, but I can only imagine there's only a handful of teams where the coach was lucky enough that all the players were good and that, and that was the reason why the team was successful, not because of the coach. Yeah. Um, how many, what is the, I know, cause we have endless ones, but what is, what are the two to three biggest life lessons that you've taken away from lacrosse and sports in general that you still apply to your life today? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think one of the biggest things, especially from being an athlete, is you get what you put into it. 
Um, and I apply that now in everything that I do, you know, in academics, you know, as a student and now with my job um, and working out now just, you know, as a normal person and not working out for, you know, a game or something, you get everything, every, in everything that you do, you only get what you put in um, and you will see the results or lack thereof, you know, determined on your, on what kind of effort you're putting forward. So I think that's a huge mm-hmm. thing that I know now is from work ethic to time management, to enjoying life, to everything that I do, I, I, I know that, um, not that I can predict the future, but I can kind of, you know, see, okay, this is going to be the result if I put in this much effort or I'm going to earn this. So I think that's one of the big things. Um, and then I think too, just like, just, I think on a, like a human level, like on a social level is being cool with people, you know, and respecting people and, and even when you don't like someone, you respect them regardless and you be polite and courteous because I definitely played the cross with people that I did not like and didn't want to hang out with, but they were my teammate and I respected them and, and the quality that they added to the team. Um, mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean I had to be their friend, but I had to be their teammate. And um, I think that that has helped me in life, you know, where I, I try my best to give everybody respect and to be courteous to everybody, regardless of how I feel on a personal level. Um, and I think that's super huge in the workforce especially, you know, where it's competitive and kind of dog eat dog. And especially as an attorney, you know, there's billables and, you know, everybody's vying for the attention of the the big wigs for promotions and bonuses or whatever. But I think what just comes down to it, you got to be a good person. And I think being mm-hmm. a student athlete and being in an environment where you have to work a part, as a part of a team for your own personal success and the success for your team, um, you got to be, you got to be a good person down mm-hmm. to it. Even when you really don't want to be, you should be because everybody deserves respect, I think. Um, and because it's just, it's for the greater good, you know, and it makes your life better. Like if you're an easygoing person and you're cool with people, your life is so much better because misery loves company. You oh, know, that's, that's just going to, you know, and that's just going to make, that's just going to make things awful for you. If you just want to be a nasty person, even if people deserve it, like just let them be by themselves, you know? So I think no, that's huh. another huge lesson is just leading with respect um, with everybody. Yeah, no, for sure. And what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, I think it's from my dad. Uh, take everything one day at a time. Yeah, which I will say right quickly. Um, I'll never forget it. But that time that right after I got kicked off the lacrosse team, when I came mm-hmm. over to chill and your dad was like, so like, what the, he's like, what the hell happened? And I like told him the story and I was actually waiting for him to just be like, yeah, that's like, you know, kind of like not baby me, but pretty much be like, oh, yeah, man, like that's some BS, like how most people would. And yeah. he straight up and I'll never forget this. He just looks me in the face and he goes, listen, man, you're not a, you're not a bad kid, but you do some stupid shit sometimes. And this is the <laughs> consequence. He's like, so yeah. um, I hate to say it to you, John, but like, you know, you, you got to be a man with this one. And I was that was actually because my mom said something similar too. You know how Gina is. Gina don't play. Oh, yeah. And and uh, I was just like between her saying that, him saying that, and then obviously other people. I'm just like, yeah, you know what? I gotta take accountability for my shit. <laughs> and say like literally like no like I, I like I put myself in that situation like I deserve it like 100. percent Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, the last thing I have for you before we go is if it's two part, it's two part question. I ask everyone this, if you could uh, go back in time and, or not, no, I hate that. I always say that, but if you could meet 18 year old, don't me. (laughs) (laughs) If you can, uh, if you could meet 18 year old Esther today, 
one, what would you tell her about the ups and downs in life? And then two, what would you tell her as a piece of wise words moving to carry with her moving forward in life? Hmm. I'm trying to think of myself at 18. That's funny. I know. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Because I turned, I turned 18 the July before we went to college. So that summer I was, I was okay. I was doing all right. I was definitely scared for college. But I think in the low points when I was 18, and there were quite a few, especially, the, you know, when I was calling home crying and everything, I think, I think, and it, I think my family members definitely told me this, but if I could, you know, appear as a ghost to my younger self and tell her something, it would just be to like, you know, I think it would be to keep going and you're doing, you're doing good. Like you're doing all right. And it's going to be okay. Because there were points where I was just like, what am I doing here? Like, I want to go home. This is, this isn't worth it. But luckily I had people telling me that, you know, you got to keep going. So I think if that's the one thing I could tell myself to give myself a peace of mind and motivation to just see it through, it'd just be to keep going. Like, you know, keep your head down, keep working. It's all going to work out. And the second and part was wise words, right? Yeah. To, to carry with yourself moving forward in life. Um, hmm. I think it would go back to, you know, the best piece of advice, which is one day at a time. And I think um, to complement that, it would be to, enjoy the moment you're in and to really take it in whether it's good or bad and and I don't mean like enjoy a bad moment but to really take it in and appreciate where you are and know that you know time keeps moving and things are going to happen and life keeps changing so whatever moment that you're in appreciate it for what it's worth learn the lessons that you can from it and then move on and to discard the rest you know not to worry don't worry about the future don't harbor on the past. Enjoy what you have in front of you. Appreciate what you have in front of you. Take what you can from it and then move on. Mm-hmm. And so. I think and I think that's it. That's 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 the episode. There it is. Well, geez. I mean, finally, now that you're finally barred and I got you on, I know I asked you, I kept asking you, you're just like, wait till I'm an attorney. Wait till yeah, I'm that's the thing. I didn't want you to like interview me. And then I like, for whatever reason, I don't become an attorney. That would have been pathetic. Uh, that, yeah. Fuck, that, yeah. You know, law school's this, this, and this. Hey, Esther, how's law school? Yeah, I'm not even an attorney anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went to school for nothing. So, oh, that shit's funny. All right. Yeah. Well, you know what I'm going to say, right? No. You love him. Stop. Boy, you, stop. <laughs> you know, you got you need to relax. Uh, all right. Well, I appreciate you doing this. So I'll of talk course. to you. All right. Sounds good. See ya. <laughs> Bye.